So it was weird being a University of Alabama fan while living in Texas. You know, of course, when we moved out there several years ago, I expected us to be in the minority. I knew that we were going to be surrounded by University of Texas fans and Texas A&M fans. What I didn't expect was what I would often hear from people in Texas. And it would go something like this. Oh, you're an Alabama fan? Wow, uh, you're not as annoying as the rest of them are. <laughs> and I don't know, what to say. how do you say, how do you respond to that? Um, thanks? You know, how do you, how do you it's kind of like a backhanded compliment, you know? Uh, apparently, for some reason, a lot of people in Texas, and maybe the people who aren't Alabama fans in Alabama say the same thing, there's just a lot more of us. But <laughs> um, Alabama fans have gotten a bad rap. They got a rap, an idea that anything University of Alabama related um, is people who are annoying and, and like to boast in brackets and that kind of thing. <laughs> so we do have a few here that say we still do that. Okay. Uh, and I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking about a passage today because I bet those Alabama fans in Texas, they didn't realize that what they were doing, what they were saying, was reflecting poorly on the school. They didn't realize that any fan of any school, if you claim to follow a sport or a school or any kind of club, then by your pronouncement that you follow them, you therefore become a representative for that school or that sports team or that club. And unfortunately, these Alabama fans, they didn't realize that they were making the Crimson Tide look bad. But we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20 through 6, 3. And the church at Corinth, they had a problem similar to that, but it wasn't over how they were making a sports team look. It was over how they were making Jesus look. The church at Corinth has forgotten and had forgotten that they, as claiming to be Christians, were therefore representing Christ. And Paul then begins to talk to them about his own ministry and how... And, and likewise, we as Christians, if we claim to be Christians, we should represent Christ well, too. Now, when we talk about our witness out in the community, we always should acknowledge that to some degree, Christianity is never going to be completely accepted by our world. Because it can't be. There's things in the Bible, and there always will be things in the Bible, that our world just will not fully accept. So there is a degree where there's going to be some friction. But at the same time, God has also called us as Christians to be salt and light in the world, in a world that's dark. And so if we're supposed to be salt and light in the world, why is it that Christianity and Christians sometimes get such a bad rap? And I think it's because of the same reason why the Crimson Tide gets a bad rap in Texas. And that's because its followers don't do a good job of representing what they claim to be. Christianity maybe gets a bad rap a lot of times in our culture, not because of Jesus or because of the Bible, but because Christians aren't doing what we're supposed to do. And that's what Paul is trying to tell this Corinthian church, and it's what he's trying to tell us today. And so in this passage, he gives these four um, components of the Christian life that if we're not careful and if you claim to be a Christian today you have to be careful to do because if you neglect one of these four components then one, your witness of the gospel and your claim to Christianity is damaged it makes it look bad 
And then secondly, you can even damage your own comfort. Because as Paul will go on, as we'll see in chapter 6 and 7, doing things God's way and being in God's will is what brings comfort. And so Paul is going to urge them not to neglect these four aspects of Christian living. And the first of those is in verse 20, and it's that you shouldn't neglect your job. Your job is an ambassador on behalf of Christ. Paul says in verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 20 begins with the, the word there, therefore. And so he's, this is a logical conclusion to what he just said. So what did Paul just say? Well, if you remember from a couple weeks ago, we were talking about how when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you repented of your sin, that that came with a very great privilege. And that privilege, as Paul says, is that you were made a new creation. Your, your old self before Jesus is dead. And God has given you a brand new identity and a brand new life in Christ. And that is a great privilege of being a Christian. But that great privilege also comes with a great responsibility. And that great responsibility is we should talk to other people and try to get them to be reconciled to God too so they can be made new also. And so we have this great privilege of new life. We therefore should have a great responsibility of trying to reconcile other people to God too. Therefore, Paul says, if you claim to be a Christian, you are an ambassador for Jesus. Ambassador on behalf of Christ. What does it mean to be an ambassador? It makes total sense if you knew what would happen back in Paul's day. Picture yourself back in that time in the first century. The king calls you in, and he's going to, and he, you don't know what you're coming in for, and he, you come up to him and you bow before him, and he says, "I'm going to give you a great honor. Your honor is that you are going to be an ambassador for me." And that is a great honor because what that means is when you leave out of there. What you say is going to be taken as if the king said it himself. What you do is going to be taken as if the king was doing it himself. You are going to be basically his representative in places where people can't see him and hear him. So that means also that you were given the honors and respect that the king would have gotten, that you would have gotten, and if somebody was mean to you, then that was a essentially like being mean to the king himself. And so your job then was to go about in places the king wasn't, and basically be his hands, his feet, and his mouth in his place for the people. And that was a, an extreme honor. But you can also imagine that also came with a lot of responsibility. Because if you didn't do your job right, if you made the king look bad, it, you could have turmoil in a political country because they were taking what you were saying as if it was really from the king. You could have political turmoil. And then if the king heard that you weren't being a good ambassador and he shows up, you were in trouble for not being a good ambassador. The Corinthian church knew this. They had ambassadors in their city. And they not only knew that as an individual level, they knew that as a corporate level. Because the church, the, the city of Corinth, like many Roman colonies, were supposed to be ambassadors for Rome. They actually built the city so it looked exactly like Rome in its architecture, in its street layout, in its politics, everything. It was a miniature of Rome. And Corinth was supposed to be an ambassador for the city of Rome in the province that they were located. And so if Caesar found out, not just his individual ambassadors, but if the 
whole city was making Rome look bad? You can imagine what Caesar would do to that city. And Paul takes this concept then and he applies it to you if you're a Christian. He says, if you claim to follow Christ, then you are Jesus' ambassador. Well, what does that mean? He says in verse 20, first it means that it's as if everything you say is as if God himself is appealing to people through you. And secondly, he, means, he says it means that everything you do is as if you are doing it on behalf of Christ, literally as Christ's substitute in that moment. And he says it's a high calling because, as you can imagine, you wouldn't want Jesus to come back and see that his ambassadors aren't representing him well. If everything you do and everything you say reflects back on who God is and what he's doing, then it really speaks volume if we're not doing our job well. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, just a few verses earlier, Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Christ. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive compensation for his deeds done through the body, in accordance with what he has done, whether it's good or whether it's bad. The beginning of verse 20, these first few words actually are not just the main point of this paragraph. It's the main point of all of chapters 5, 6, and 7. Be a helpful ambassador for Christ and not a harmful one. If there's one thing I could ask you to leave with today, it would be that sentence. Be a helpful ambassador for Jesus and not a harmful one. Because here's the thing. If you say you are a Christian, you are an ambassador. You don't get to choose not to be. You are one. And you can't just sit on the sideline and be like, well, I'm going to let that be for the, the preachers and the evangelists, the missionaries, and the Sunday school teachers. No, you are in the game as an ambassador. And there's no middle ground. You either are helping and you're representing Christ well, or you are hurting. So which one are you? Obeying the Bible. Um, participating in a local church. Supporting the local church. Um, making sure that you're avoiding sins and getting involved in missions and, and telling people about Jesus. These are all things that helpful ambassadors do. And if you're not doing that, then you're hurting. If you're not helping, then you're hurting. And so Paul challenges the church, he challenges us today to ask ourselves, what type of ambassador are you? Are you making progress for the gospel? And if not... <coughs> then you're preventing the gospel from spreading. So that's your job. We can't neglect our job. But he goes on to say the next thing that we shouldn't neglect if we want to be people who are living rightly and people who have God's comfort in our lives. And the second thing we shouldn't neglect is our message. And our message is that we should be, be reconciled to God because Christ was the sin substitute for you. So Paul goes on and I'll read the end of verse 24. It says, Be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Paul tells us in verse, at the end of verse 20, essentially what we're supposed to do as ambassadors, because the job of the ambassador really was not to just make up a bunch of stuff and do things what they want. 
as representative of the king, their job really was to carry out the will of the king and to say the words of the king. And so if we're going to be ambassadors, we better know what the message is that we're entrusted to proclaim. And so that Paul says, he says in verse 20, the beginning is be reconciled to God. Now, the idea of reconciliation was big in the previous verses. We talked about it more last couple weeks ago. I'm not going to get into it closely, but I will remind you that reconciliation is the idea that we have, that there is a conflict, that there is a fault that has happened that has caused separation, and not just separation in a relationship, enmity and hatred in the relationship. And when you're reconciled, you're brought back together, that the enmity is, is healed, and you become not just enemies, but then you become actually friends. It's not just a move from positive to neutral, to move from uh, negative to neutral, to move from negative to positive feelings. And Paul says it's our job as ambassadors to appeal to people, be reconciled to God. But that's not the gospel. If you just tell people, be reconciled to God, you haven't said the gospel. Because the gospel is not the plea for people to be reconciled. It's why it's even possible. Or more specifically, what God alone did. So it's even possible for us to be reconciled to him. And that's what Paul explains then, the message of the gospel in verse 21 he begins with the phrase, he made him who knew no sin. In other words, God, the him being Jesus. This is the doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus. In other words, Jesus Christ, who is the son of God, who has lived forever, who was sitting in eternity in heaven. He came 2,000 years ago and chose on his own free will to step out of the glories of heaven where single or heaven where angels are singing his praises and to be in a little manger instead. And Jesus, who is God, was and is 100% human, just like we are. The Bible says he was tempted just like you. He went through trials just like you. The only difference between Jesus and you is that he never sinned. He was pure. He was completely righteous. He was perfect. And so that's something that neither, none of us can ever claim Because none of us are sinless, righteous, and perfect But this is what God did And when he came to earth and became this perfect human being He lived on this life that, in a way that we could never live A life that's sinless But then even though he was righteous Jesus chose of his own free will again To go to the cross Why? He says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. In other words, Jesus, when he went to the cross, as someone who was perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, never has done anything wrong in his life, he still chose willingly to go there. And God began to pour upon him the consequences of sin. You see, ever since the creation of the world, ever since the fall happened, humans have sinned. And God, after century after century after century rolled on of sinning after sinning after sinning, his wrath was being stored up against sin. He patiently endured 
millennia of human beings and patiently endured the knowledge of millennia after that of all of the sins that would happen. And he stored up his wrath of God, patiently enduring it, not pouring it out on you and me or any human being. And then God himself decided to come to the cross. And when he went to the cross, he became a sin bearer. He became sin with a capital H for us. God saw Jesus as sin with a capital H. S. <laughs> And in that moment, God, who had been storing up patiently all this wrath, unloaded it on Jesus. And Jesus willingly took it all as he was struggling for breath on the cross. And after hour after hour of going on the cross, as, as wave after wave of God's wrath against sin began to hit Jesus, and he was struggling not just with the pain of the cross, but with the pain of that moment of bearing the punishment of millennia of people's sins, he finally began to feel it, and he knew that the wrath was over, and he said, it's finished. And he took it all the wrath of God on sin. But there was still one more consequence of sin that wasn't defeated yet. You see, Jesus died on that cross for sin. And death is that last consequence of sin. But y'all know the story. Three days later, that stone began to move. And that light began to bust out of that grave. And those Roman soldiers that were guarding that tomb, they ran away. And they had... Jesus walked out of that grave. The living hope. Amen. Amen. And he's the living hope forever. Because he defeated sin and death. And so then there's us. And we're all born sinners and we have sinned and we have sinful desires in us. And because of that, we, we can't get to God because God's righteous and holy. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, if you first go to Jesus and you cling to him and you say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to cling to you and follow you and obey you with my whole life. And if you repent, which means if you turn from your sin, if you say, Jesus, I'm turning away from my sin. I don't want my sin any longer, God. I'm not going to do it anymore. I repent of it. Take my sin away from me. Then... God declares what Jesus did on the cross as being true for you. Yeah. That's called the great exchange. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so we might be declared and become the righteousness of God in Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's the key. It's in Jesus. Because you're not righteous because you did something. You're not righteous because you earned something. You're not really even righteous because of who you are. Jesus is righteous. And God declares you and treats you as righteous. Because you are clinging to him. Mm -hmm. And that's our message. That's the message that God has entrusted to you as an ambassador of Christ. 
the problem was the Corinthians, they, they were so focused on looking good in front of the people in their city. They're so focused on looking good and advancing their personal careers. They're so focused on the little squabbles that were happening in the church that they lost focus. They neglected their message. And when they neglected their message, they lost their comfort. And the same can happen to you. We can get so focused and we can lose our message when we start thinking about Jesus as just being there for us in the bad times. Or we say Jesus is there for here as life on earth. And that's all the message is. That's not the message God has given us. But when we start focusing on other messages and we spend all this time talking about sports and, and clubs. We spend all this time talking about work, work projects and house projects. Spend all this time talking about kids and grandkids and spend all this time talking about our friends and the fun times and our hobbies that we forget the one message that God has actually given you to tell people. Mm -hmm. And if we forget the message as individuals, if we neglect the message as a church, we'll lose our comfort. We'll lose the power of God in our so be someone who declares the message as an individual. Be someone who comes and joins a church that's going to declare the message God has given us. Be reconciled to God. Because Christ became the sin substitute for you. And so the first thing we easily neglect is our job. The second thing we easily neglect is our message. The third thing we easily neglect then is our method. Now we should be urgently pleading with people because the time is short. Paul goes on in verse 1 of chapter 6 and says, And working together with Jesus, we also urge you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, At the favorable time I listened to you, and on a day of salvation I helped you. Before, behold, now is a favorable time. Behold, now is a day of salvation. Paul says, with this in mind, that we are ambassadors for Christ and we have this message. We as Christians, if you claim to be a Christian, you essentially are working with Jesus. You're working with him. And knowing that Jesus is walking before you and walking behind you in your job, in your message, our method is really pretty simple. He says, just plead with people urgently to accept Jesus Christ. Earlier in verse 12. 20, he says, we beg you on behalf of Christ. Here in verse 1, he says, we urge you on behalf of Christ. That we shouldn't have this attitude of like, okay, here's the message, take it or leave. No, we shouldn't be scared of people's reaction. We shouldn't have this apathy about what people are doing. There should be a sense of, of desperation for people to not just hear the message of Jesus, but actually accept it for themselves. Because the time is short. We don't know how many opportunities they'll have. He says, so you don't receive the grace of God in vain. Paul is actually speaking to both Christians, likely speaking to both Christians and non-Christians when he says that. For Christians to receive the grace of God in vain means to become saved, but then not let that salvation do anything in you. Not let it produce any profit or any fruit in you for the gospel or in your own life. He says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. But I want to focus on the meaning for people who are lost. Because when you hear the gospel, that is God's way of graciously helping you. God sends his grace to someone who's lost whenever they hear the gospel. So they have the capability to understand and respond. 
every time. And so you can receive the grace of God in vain when you hear the gospel over and over and over again and you continually reject that offer. And Paul, to kind of point out this is procrastination is a problem, he quotes a passage from Isaiah and he applies it to salvation. And he essentially says in verse 2, look, pay attention. Now is a favorable time to accept Jesus. Now is the day of salvation to accept Jesus. Because you don't know if you have another time or another day to accept Jesus. You don't know if God's grace is going to come to you again. And so we urgently plead with people because the time is short. I was thinking about this week. As you imagine if you were traveling by the lake out here, and as you were driving, you noticed that there was somebody in the lake, and they were obviously struggling. They couldn't swim. And you knew as you were watching them that if they if you just left them there, that they would drown in that lake and they would die. Well, would you respond? Well, I would hope that you would pull over your car and you would get out and you would say, Dude, follow my boys. Come here. It's safe on this shore. Let's get over here. Or maybe you'd grab something and throw it out there and be like, hey, grab, grab this life preserver. Get a hold of it. Let me pull you on shore. Maybe you'd even jump in yourself if you're one of those people. And you, you go out there and you try to rescue them by grabbing them and you try dragging them back to the shore where it's safe. You wouldn't just be sitting on the bank like this. Hey, uh, I hate to bother you while you're out there on the lake, but um, you know, I have this feeling that the way you're swimming is really not that good, so you know, if you want to be safe, I, I can help you with that whenever you want. Okay, bye. Is that how you would respond? No! <laughs> Even if you said, I'll help you, and the person said no, you wouldn't give up on them. You would keep calling out to them, even if they keep resisting, trying to get their attention, help them realize they're going to die. You might even call other people and be like, look, this person over here, he's about to, to be destroyed. Let's help me get them to, to be saved. And you'd get other people enlisted on it. You would care. There would be a sense of urgency, a sense of pleading with the person. And that's the way we should be treating people who are lost too. Because we're not just talking about the decision between having, you know, red paint somewhere or having blue paint somewhere. We're talking about the difference between eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. And we don't know how many more times God's going to send his grace to. So we plead. Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher of the 19th century in England, he put it in a way that has forever stuck in my mind. He says, if sinners are going to be condemned, at least let them leap to hell over our dead bodies. And if they perish, let them perish with our arms wrapped around their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions, and let no one go to hell unwarned and unprayed for. That's the truth. That's the truth. And so our method is simple. It's just urgently pleading with people. We should care if we don't see people getting baptized. We should care if we don't see people getting saved. There should be a sense of we need to do this and we need to do this now. 
And I think sometimes we, when we think about telling our message, we think, well, I'm not trained. I need to get trained to share the gospel. But if you know enough to be saved by Christ, you know enough to help somebody else be saved by Christ. God is not asking you here to get some kind of formal evangelism training. He's just asking you to get a sense of attitude. Maybe the difference is not that we need a new training. We just need a new feeling. Urgently pleading with people to accept Christ. You can have the right job and know your job. You can know your message. But if you don't have the method, maybe we won't see as many people be reconciled to God. Paul wanted not just individuals, but the church to realize that. He wants us to realize that too. And so he gives these four components that we can lose our witness, that we can lose our comfort because we're not doing it God's way if we don't do this. Our job, our message, our method. And then finally, he talks about our reputation. He says, in verses 3 and 4, giving no reason for taking offense at anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. Our reputation, we should be people who do everything above reproach. In, in some Bibles, in some translations you have, they might start a new sentence in verse 3, but in the Greek, verse 3 and 4 is actually a continuation of the sentence that started in verse 1. So Paul is just giving another thing that we should be doing as Christians, and he Essentially, thinking about his own reputation and the way that's been going on in Corinth, he applies also what he's been saying to the church and to us. And he says the reputation of a Christian is important because when a reputation of a Christian is damaged, the gospel witness is damaged too. That we need to realize that what people think about us matters. In terms of whether they will or will not accept Christ. He gives the same command. He just gives it one negatively and one positively. First, negatively, he says, don't do anything in a way that will cause offense and discredit the ministry. We'll just Don't do anything that will discredit Christianity. Positively, he says the same thing. Make sure that everything you're doing is something that's commending Christians and commending the gospel of Christ. Now, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this last point. Um, because this actually becomes something that he brings up multiple times again in six and seven, chapter six and seven. But I do want us to realize, since it's connected with these other verses, what this means. You can know your job, and you can know the message, and you can even know the method. But if you neglect your reputation, you're no longer helpful ambassador as long as your reputation gets neglected and it's not just a matter of avoiding sins it's a matter of making sure you're doing everything right so that we as believers since you are a Christian just like I was a Crimson Tide person in Texas you are a Christian everything you do is going to reflect on what it means to be a Christian what it means to accept Christ not just in the avoidance of sin but in the doing everything you do well and so he urges us, people are paying attention to you. Whether you realize it or not, kids, youth, when y'all are in school, people are watching you if they know you're a Christian. People are watching you at the sports field. 
People are watching you while you're at work. Your family is watching you while you're sitting at home. Your coworkers are watching you there. Your, your neighbors are watching what you do around the field. When you go to your extended family, your extended family is watching what you do. If people, if you claim to be a Christian out loud, people are watching what you say and do, whether you want them to or not. And so your reputation can either help or it can hurt. And so here Paul gives these things that we often neglect and we should neglect, our job, that we're ambassadors for Christ, our message that people should be reconciled to God because Christ was a sin substitute for us. We should be remembering and not neglecting our method, that we should be urgently pleading with people knowing that time is short, and we should neglect our reputation, doing everything we can above reproach so that the ministry is not discredited. Be a helpful ambassador for Christ and not a harmful one. Now, I do want to close today, though, with some good news. Because the reality is, Christians do fail. No Christian, the only person who was there perfect was Jesus. That includes all Christians even after we accept Christ. Every single one of us has messed up at some point in our lives, even after we became a Christian. And if I was to imagine here that there's every single one of us, myself included, that can think about times... When we have been harmful and not helpful to somebody. And I don't know about you guys, but I have a sense of guilt about that. And I'll be, I'll be thinking about that for a long time. But I do want to give you the good news. And it's a reminder of what Paul says just a few verses earlier. He says... Uh, in verse 16 and verse 17, therefore, if anybody's in Christ, he's a new creation. Verse 18, that God was not counting our sins against us. God does not count that against you as a Christian. More than that, you're a new creation in Christ. As he said just a few verses earlier, you're a new person in Jesus Christ. So here's the good news. Even if you've been a bad ambassador, a harmful ambassador in the past, that doesn't have to define you anymore. Because in Christ, that's behind you. You're a new creation today. And it can be a story of help if your story is one of God's grace. Insurmountable grace. And so the next few moments we're going to pray, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this passage. And maybe you're today and you feel God tugging on your heart that you haven't been the most helpful ambassador or you just haven't done anything and God is telling you to do something and spend this next time as we pray repenting of that calling out to him these steps are open these seats are open I'll be up here if you want me to come and pray for you just saying recommit and say Lord I want to be the helpful ambassador that you've called me to be maybe for you that means a practical step in some way uh, following God's obedience and joining a local church. Uh, I'd love to talk to you about ours. Um, being, getting involved in a Sunday school class at 10 o'clock where you can get study and you can get accountability. Taking these letters up here and, and writing somebody's name that you need to share the gospel with and putting it on the cross to say, hey, I'm going to share that message with them. Maybe there's a tangible step that you need to take